Ah, close to retirement. Or retired already? Time to live the good life, right? Well, you're no longer earning money. You're now withdrawing money each month. And your broker is also withdrawing each month from your account as much as 2 to 3%. And if the market drops, your broker continues to withdraw. Wait a minute. How do we navigate these challenges? That's why to tune in to the Total Financial Hour with host Eric Hallaby, Sundays at 11 a.m. Learn about your financial power on the Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being with me. My name is Arif Hallaby, the Total Financial Solutions and TFS Financial Insurance Services uh, CEO, bringing you the show. We, we call it the Total Financial Hour because the idea is to understand that I think everything in your financial life impacts everything else. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I'm going to get started with one area. I'm going to plan uh, in in this particular area of my financial life, my retirement, for example. But I'm not going to really think too much about what's happening with my emergency account. Or my travel budget is important, but not for the rest of my budget. In other words, when I want to travel, I'm just going to travel. I think you have to focus on two things. Everything in your financial life affects everything else. And why does it, uh, it matter when we start a financial life, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever, 30, 40, 50, whenever you start thinking about retirement, and then finally you get there and you, you look around and you say, man, this is nothing what I thought it was going to be like. You've heard me spend a lot of time on purpose. You know, for a lot of people, purpose uh, is determined by how much money they have. Maybe. Sometimes purpose is determined on, well, it's going to begin soon. Any minute now, I'm going to start looking for my purpose. And when we do that, there's two things that that mess it up. Number one, it, it means that your happiness is delayed. Because for a lot of you, you tie your purpose and your happiness together. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. It's just what people do. And the second part of it is you're not a friend, uh, you're not nice to be around. Your friends, your family, they kind of, they kind of avoid you. And, and you know who you are. You know if you're one of those people that, you know, just doesn't like being, uh, you know, you don't like being around them. They don't like being around you. you. You tolerate each other. You do what you have to do. And so a lot of times, folks will build their financial life so that the one day they can travel, right? If that's your purpose. Now, for some of you, it's even living overseas. Maybe you spent a lot of time traveling. Maybe you spent a lot of time being overseas, and that's a, that's a nice thing to do. I, I enjoy traveling too, like most. Maybe you've created, if you will, the, the place that you go to over and over again. Maybe that's your favorite thing to do, is to go to the same town, go to the same city, you know, people remember you there. They say hi, whether it's in Italy or 
or Mexico or the Philippines or, or even other parts of the United States. You might travel to the same place as opposed to others that say, everywhere I go, I want to see someplace new. Now, here's the challenge with, I, I guess, going somewhere new all of the time, because that's what we do. And, and, and I can tell you, I think I'm kind of over that. You know, I, I think it's time to, to start visiting the same places a little bit more, a little bit deeper. You know, because it, it almost doesn't matter how much time you have on your trips. You really can't spend the time as if you live there, or at least as if you are familiar with things. And it takes a little while, and by the time you settle in, it's time to go. So here's the challenge. For many of you, you'll travel overseas, you'll create a lifestyle there, and then you'll say you want to live there. All right, that's not the challenge. Where's the challenge come in? It comes in here. Headline in the news uh, this last uh, week or two from NBC News. American retirees in Mexico say their life savings has vanished from a Mexican bank. Nine American families told NBC News that they trusted a local banker in San Miguel de Allende only to find millions missing from their accounts. San Miguel de, de Allende is actually a town, guys, that a lot of people retire to. In fact, there's thousands of expatriates from the United States and Canada and Great Britain that live there. It's inexpensive. It's uh, landlocked, so you're in the middle of the country. But overall, in Mexico in general, there's 700,000 Americans living in Mexico. And not all of them, you know, were from there originally or have family ties there. Many, many just decided it's time to, to retire there. That's where they want to spend their time. But the city of San Miguel de Allende has become a particular, particularly popular destination for American expats due to its colonial-style architecture and low cost of living. So what basically happened? Well, uh, many Americans retire from similar, similar uh, uh, climates. San Diego, Texas. It isn't that far from Mexico. Just a hop, skip, and a jump, but without the crazy laws and rules that we have. Now, with some of those crazy laws and rules, and listen, you don't have to have one without the other, but the banking system in Mexico is different, just like all of the rest of the, the world, at least you know most that I know of. And I want to share that with you because you need to understand if you are going to travel abroad, I had, I had a friend that opened up uh, a bank account in a Central American country, and when he did so, that particular bank was bought by another bank. What do you think? No big deal. Except if you didn't come there physically and uh, you know, give you a new ID and sign up and, and do a transaction because you have to have a, you have to do a transaction I don't know what it was every two years or whatever they were saying then your account is frozen which means now you can't get it out via an ATM card etc and if the country has a tax treaty with the United States which most of the the Western hemisphere does then everything that you do in that country, banking-wise, is as if you did it in the United States, except without the FDIC or without the protection. So let's go over some examples. In this Mexican uh, bank, it was a, a lady who was one of the 
I guess a banker, maybe a private banker, a personal banker. She stole stole somewhere in the neighborhood of about $7 million. Stole from her family, friends. So it wasn't just that the bank went out of business. But these are Americans in their mid-60s, early 70s. Because there's over 1,000 Americans that live in this town, they talk. Hey, where do you bank? Hey, I bank over here. What about you? What's a good restaurant? Right? Everybody talks. But this is a substantial problem. Because all of a sudden, when you're looking at your dollars disappearing, it's like, well, well, how do you live? And for a lot of you, your financial planning requires you to receive a paycheck, whether it's your pension or whether it is your Social Security or your withdrawals from your retirement accounts every month. So there are different banking systems across the country. This is not at all uh, intended to be an exhaustive research on all of the banks in Central America or even any one country, let alone region or, or internationally, okay? So just kind of keep this in mind that these are questions that you didn't even know you had to ask. Here's one of them. Are you a private bank or a public bank? So what does that mean? Well, the government owns banks, and hence your interest rate is much lower generally, right? So if you want a government-owned bank, and that still doesn't give you much more protection, but it does give you a little bit more generally, so the risk is lower, interest rates are lower. So if you think you're going to earn, let's say, 3% on a savings rate instead of 1%, and you go, gosh, bank X across the street, well, it's a private bank. They have different set of rules. They don't have the same level of insurance. They don't have the same level of protection or oversight as a public bank, right, or government-owned bank. So government-owned banks are going to generally be similar to the United States in the sense that interest rates are about the same. You're going to see uh, issues where uh, numerous accounts, right, aren't going to have extra protection as they would in the United States, right, because the FDIC program here is a quarter of a million dollars, and it's per account. So if I have an account, my wife and I have an account, that's two. She has an account, that's three. We have a different account number, four. So you can have numerous accounts. It used to be per account holder. So if that Social Security number has one account or 10 accounts, it doesn't matter. It's only insured up to one. Today, the rules are a little bit different. So keep in mind that in a foreign country, they don't have the same kind of oversight, number one. Number two is, you have to read the documents in the native language, right? You start to think that, that oh, I signed a, a subscription agreement, right? Or I just signed up for my, my savings account, so I clicked X on the, their computer tab, or I filled out an application. Sometimes it is only written in their native language. The United States is the only place that has a voting pamphlet in 75 languages. It's another ridiculous story, but it happens. Right? We're the only place you go into a push one for Spanish, push two for English, push three for whatever. Okay, great. There, tough luck if you don't speak the language. Thanks for coming. 
We don't change for you. Now, listen, the, the, the folks there might speak lang- the language, of course. I've, I've dealt with banks. In fact, many of them have been educated in the United States. Right? I've had to go to foreign banks to cash a check or to you know, get a withdrawal. Right? You're traveling. You need some more currency. You go there and, and say, I'd like to take some money out of my, my account. Here's my ATM. And they speak English better than, than many of the, the folks that even work at the banks here. So that's great. Educated here. But all of the paperwork is in the foreign language, okay? So be very careful, especially if you think you speak Spanish from Mexico and you're in Costa Rica. They they use different words sometimes, formal, right? It's different different formalities. If you're in Panama and you're used to speaking, uh, you know, Chilean, sometimes it's different words. So... Realize Spanish is not Spanish is not Spanish across Central America. Now, now I'm focusing on that region only because it just happens to be where a lot more Americans, especially Southern Californians, retire. Just know what you're doing. Know the details. Know the worst case scenario. Know what can happen. And if things go south in a bad way and you lose your retirement accounts, right, in the banks, what are... If this, in this case, the the lady ran off with the money, what are your your options? What can you do to get it back? What's your plan B? So you want to ask that and say, is there something I can do? What what happens if, well, we have protections in place? Okay, great. Then just carry this article. It's all over the news, right? CNBC. It was all over the all over it in the last couple of weeks. So. Say, look, how does this happen? Well, it happens everywhere. It happens in the United States. Sure, that's right. And the bank by the afternoon would give me some or all of my money back in no in no time at all. So what do you do to protect yourself? Okay, I want to give you some solutions to this. It doesn't matter where you're banking, but before I do, keep this in mind. If you go to Ecuador, which is really becoming a very popular place for Americans to retire, or Panama, Right, a lot of the old days were Panama, Costa Rica, Belize is still there as a as a place. Uh, but Ecuador is starting to as well. But here's a here's one of the ideas to consider: in Panama, Belize, and Ecuador, they use the U.S. dollar. That means when you go to the store, they're in dollars. It isn't just like if you're traveling to Italy or to China; they'll take U.S. dollars. They're happy to, but. They also have their own currency. That's not the way it is. There, they literally use the entire dollar system. Okay, so you need to know that because ask, are there any extra protections because of this? If the US Is the U.S. Treasury involved? Is the Federal Reserve Bank involved in any form or fashion to, to have a guarantee or a protection? Those are good questions to ask because it can help you. All right. When I say the solution, here's what I'm talking about. If you want to open a bank in a foreign country, that ha- especially one that has a tax treaty with the United States, you are going to go through heck. Put it up front. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have to carry every single piece of paper that you can think of from an identification standpoint. You're going to have to fill out an application that talks about who you are, what your interests are, almost your shoe size relatives, your address, uh, where you used to live, what kind of job you do, what companies you work for, where did you used to work, 
almost anything you can think of. Because as an American, the U.S. government says, we need to know if you have money in a foreign bank. If you do have money in a foreign bank, we want our, our tenant, and we want to make sure the money that was deposited in that bank is not money laundered. So you can see that the U.S. government has its, its concerns, rightfully so, right? People would do that a lot with the old Cayman Island banks or the Panamanian banks. So, but things have changed now. It is not a safe haven for drug dealers and, and smugglers. It doesn't, it's not the case. And then you and I, of course, as regular citizens, pay the price if you're trying to live there part-time, come home on weekends, whatever it is that you want to do from a retirement standpoint. So here's what a lot of the foreign countries will require. Number one, they're going to require you to have all of that identification. Two, they're going to require you to have some sort of steady income. Sometimes they want a direct deposit into that bank account. Right? I, I don't know how much. Some of them are different. But they're going to require something to be added to that account each month. And some of them that require that will accept your U.S. bank account. So if you have a Chase or Wells Fargo or B of A or your credit union account, if you have your credit union or your bank account here, that's where I want you to keep all of your money. That's the golden nugget. That's the solution. Consider keeping all of your cash in the U.S. and then transferring down what you need. So at any one time, eh. I mean, listen, a thousand or five thousand dollars is a lot of money still, but it's not a million. Right? If they run off with the money in the bank, you now know, okay, at least I didn't take everything else I have. So if you are going to have a bank account in a foreign country, it is much more convenient, especially if you go in and you're using the that, that bank's visa card when you go to, to shop or to eat out. Sometimes you get discounts if you're a local versus a foreigner or a tourist, or at least if they perceive you as a local. But that's the case in Hawaii, right? In Hawaii, they have the same thing. If you're a local in Hawaii, you pay less money when you go to shops, when you go to restaurants. It's called Kamana, I think, or something. I'll remember it in a minute. But, but the point is, it's not even a foreign country, and they give locals preferential treatment. Okay, so think about this as a way to establish, hey, listen, I'm not just a tourist coming through trying to get a few dollars, if you will. I'm here trying to say, uh, I don't know, that, that you guys matter, that I'm trying to help the local economy, right? So these things matter when you're trying to build your financial life. Kamana, Kamiana. Gosh, I'm trying to get it right. All right? Keep this in mind, guys. If you're going to retire to a foreign country, you better know the language. I don't mean fluent. But listen, I, I've been, I was in a resort years ago in Mexico, and, and the people there spoke English fluently, and I was trying to practice my Spanish. And they would answer me back in English. And their English was fantastic. And I said, and these were, you know, the, the worker levels, not, you know, management or the owners of the resort or whatever. It's just a, the folks that work there. Oh, yeah, I have my bachelor's degree from Boston University. Oh, yeah, I attended UCLA. and got my Oh, wow, what the heck? And they said, oh, yeah, this is, this is a, a great job because American tourists are, are polite. 
right? Counter to what many people think. And she said, it's a great job in our community to have. And they require it. Some resorts, some hotel chains require a bachelor's degree and a level of proficiency in English. Now, you need to have the same kind of thing when you go to different restaurants so that you don't get taken. And if you say you're going to live there, great. Then two days a week you take Spanish classes. Or two days a week you take Philippine uh, Tagalog classes or, or uh, you know, where, French. Wherever you are, I want you to be involved. And then you're less likely to have a phony piece of paper snatched in front of you and, and something signed. So my solution to this craziness, set up a bank account in the United States. You can have it auto-transferred one way. Don't set up communications backwards and forwards because then they can dip in and take money out. I don't want that to happen. It's a one-way stream. You set it in the U.S., it's online, you know, with send in $1,000 a month. Great. $1,000 a month goes into your bank account in uh, your new your new foreign land. These folks put millions of dollars in a Mexican bank. Now, that's a great idea until it isn't. And you're going to say, that's a lousy idea. Well, maybe they're getting 5% interest. Well, Eric, you can't get me to... Do, okay, well, that's what you think. But if you have $100,000 sitting in a bank in, the, in, in uh, this, this bank in Mexico, and let's say they're paying you a 6% interest... Guys, that's $500 a month. That's your rent. That's, that's just about everything. That means just the interest alone pays for most of your living expenses. And then Social Security deposit pays for the rest. So you can be, well, maybe not you, right? Because you're smarter than everybody else. <laughs> some of you can get tricked. And, and some of it is a good idea, right? I want a local bank to have a relationship with you in case you need something. You're there. But I don't want you to fall for moving everything, your life savings there. The problem is when you go to these banks and you open up an account, you have to give them everything about your financial life. Everything. Social security number, where you lived, where you used to live, where you work, where you used to work. Your local, your your closest relatives, their personal information, your kids. I mean, think of it like, okay, a drug dealer, you know, we're trying to prevent a drug dealer from, from laundering money. Okay. And Jim and Susie Lunchbucket, who, who's retired and, and moved to a, a place where they could afford to live on their Social Security checks, are now subject to the same... I don't know, the same uh, TSA inspection that you go through just to get on a plane, right? It's called life the way it is. So so I'd like you to kind of pr- protect yourself there. We're seeing this more and more. Remember, I like government banks, but stable government banks, right? Don't go into, in my opinion, private banks, even though they pay better interest. Maybe they're nicer, they're Right, just think of the difference between a private DMV. Right, you go to AAA; they generally are a little nicer than going directly to the state-run institutions. Right, some you have to punch your boss to be fired, and some, if you don't perform, you get fired. So, 
get to look at this and see what's the motivation of people. The right answer for you, I'm not sure, except always, always look at this as a what if the worst case scenario happens. Can I afford whatever the next step is? Which is, if I lose everything, how do I start over? Because these are folks that are 72, 76, 67, and now they have to start over. Guys, it really stinks. All right, it changes retirement forever. What you thought was normal, what you thought was going to be the case, not anymore. It's it's sad to me because, I don't know, they put out arrest warrants and, and some and, you know, the they're going after her and whatever. But if she's in the banking world, you know she knows enough about the system, I don't know, to maybe hide the money forever. Who knows? You guys, please be careful, okay? All right, we're going to continue uh, after the after the break here. I want to continue with... Uh, Some of the tips and tricks when you're going to travel or certainly when you're going to live abroad, some of the things to remember to do uh, and some little things that maybe you didn't even think about. It's going to be a little lighter, so I hope it's a little more fun. We'll be right back. Um, Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Hallaby. We'll be right back on AM870, The Answer. Learn from Arif Hallaby. Learn about financial power. The Total Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Hey guys, welcome back. And with me, let me give you the phone number. I didn't even give it the first half of the show. All right, so now you have it. Triple eight ninety nine retire. That's eight 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 nine nine seven three eight four seven. Triple eight ninety nine retire. It is uh, about a couple of things. Uh, if we can help you with your financial life, it'd be my pleasure. Uh, part of what we do is kind of help keep some or part of your money safe, get you strategic or guaranteed sources of income when the time comes. Right, so you can decide what that looks like. You can say, "I need this much money now," and then a little bit much uh, money later. If you have been paying attention over the last, I don't know, even last couple of weeks or even more, the market has been kind of crazy. You're up and then down, up 100 points, down 200, up 300, down 100. How do you make sure that your retirement income doesn't have that same level of fluctuation? Well, you have to have certain numbers, some are part of it, in safe, protected areas where the market doesn't decide what your income is. For a lot of people, the market can decide your mood. Right? Ask ladies and gentlemen who are married to spouses who trade the market pretty regularly. If they're in a happy mood, it means the market is up. If they're in a sad mood, it means the market is down. I've seen enough of that. And that is a huge problem for people who are trying to say, okay, well, when the retirement comes, I'm going to be maybe not as sharp, maybe not as focused. Maybe, maybe I just don't want to care as much. Right? Maybe it is uh, one spouse's job. We had this recently, and all it was was his job was to do the trading. He had positions open and this and that. Crazy stuff. Good, good. I'm happy for him. I used to do that. I understand it well. But his wife didn't, and he was much older than her. And I said, so what's going to happen if you pass away first? 
She doesn't know what to sell. Well, I left instructions. Well, yeah, but that was under the market conditions that day. What happens if the market conditions are different the day you die? Nobody knows, right? Most people don't know the moment they're going to pass away. So you create all of these things that have something to do tomorrow, next week, next year, or when the market does X, I'm going to do Y, and yet you have a big portion of your, of your wealth tied up in a place where if the market is up or down, that decides or can decide a substantial part of your life. Now, for a lot of people, they do this fire thing, right? I'm going to do a show specifically on that. It's uh, Fire basically means you're retiring at early age. It means in your 20s, 30s usually, 30s or 40s, you're going to scrimp and save for four, five, six years, go without, max out your savings accounts, retirement accounts, whatever it is, and then you're going to drop. Drop from society, move. So I'm going to cover a show on that. That's not what we're talking about today, but this, those folks, there is an overlap to this. Because for a lot of younger people that retire early, they do move overseas. They do move to an international uh, place. Okay, so keep this in mind. If you are going to, we were talking about banking at the, the first part of the hour. Different banks are not some of them are not easy to work with, right? The most difficult for some banking systems are Americans. Now, why? Because Americans themselves, we're, we are beholden, very similar to the old British crown, right? People in America, we say, well, a British subject. Yeah, he's a British subject. British subject means... You are beholden, owned, if you will, controlled by the crown. The queen, king, whoever, ultimately has the final say. Now, today it's watered down. I get it. We're, we're a parliamentary, uh, parliamentary system, more so than the old monarchy, but it's still there and it's a figurehead, yet does have a, a role and a purpose. I get it. But then why is it that the United States system you are still a subject of the United States. Try to go to Panama, Belize, Costa Rica, Mexico, and open up a bank account. Once you tell them you're an American, they're like, oh, man, you're killing me. I'm like, why? You see, the rules for Americans to open up bank accounts in foreign countries are very strict. In fact, some banks won't even take them. Sorry, we won't take you. They're like, what do you mean? I just want to give you my money. Nope. Because they have to have an entire system built internally to meet with and report with to the IRS in the United States. That means the computer systems have to be able to talk. That means the people have to be able to talk to each other at a high level. That means they need to have records dating back to whenever you open the account, every single transaction, coming and going and how much. In fact, try to go to any credit union or bank. I don't know if they have credit unions. Banks in foreign countries and ask them for a money order or a cashier's check of $5,000 or more. What do they say? What are you going to spend it on? Like, excuse me? Try to be an American with the freedom and ideas, the liberty of what we and the privacy that we live by. 
And then you open that bank account in another country, and you think, hey, that's great, right? They speak English. Even some of the pamphlets are in English. Oh, I can get it. My friends are English. Restaurant workers, hotel, everybody speaks English. That's wonderful. But as was once quoted by a philosopher from the Midwest, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. This is different. We are not in the United States anymore. And as Dorothy so uh, eloquently put it, things are different. You might think that they look the same. Now, here's a good example. I had a bank account that was HSBC, 300 bucks. That's all I had. Here's $300 account. I tried to take money out of another country. I said, oh, you know what? I haven't been to that bank for a while. I just want to take out, I don't know, some money from the bank, 20 bucks. They said, sorry, you can't. I go, look, it says the little, sorry, you have to go only into the banking account. I go, but it says HSBC. Yes, but it's different. I go, but what do you mean it's different? The logo's the same. The name's the same. Not in this country. This country, it's different. We have a different set of rules. Okay, well, I guess I'll use my other account. So my, my point is there's a reason that foreigners come to the United States and they open bank accounts here. Now, we still require all sorts of paperwork. But if we're in the United States, a lot of people will have their money deposited here. Yes, they have to pay U.S. federal taxes or state taxes. But they're much happier having their money in a trusted banking system. You see, people don't realize that banks can and do close down all the time in foreign countries. Right? This is a, a problem that has plagued numerous people. I'll give you a good example. When the banks that closed down in um, Mexico, and it took millions of dollars, what did these folks do? Well, they had to figure it out. They went back to their U.S. bank and said, hey, how much can I get as a, as a loan? Well, they had to fight this. Well, let me give you an example. Even in the United States... There's a lot of failed banks, but they're insured. They get merged, right? You can go to uh, Wikipedia as, uh, as sometimes it is unseen as, a, uh, as the expertise that it is. It doesn't always hold the truth, in my opinion. Uh, but they do have a list of failed banks since 2008. Thousands, not branches, banks. In the United States, guys. So this can be a problem, but regulators will shut down banks all over the place, up to and including uh, some big ones that you might know. So just keep in mind that a part of this plan, if you will, is not perfection. That's not what we're trying to shoot for. What it is, is we're trying to shoot for the, the protection and in my opinion, the diversification of your money. All right, keep keep five thousand dollars. I don't know what number three thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, something like that in the foreign government bank. Part of it is also drug cartels, kidnappers, bad guys in those parts of the world 
have people that work for those banks. And if they open up uh, your bank account and can look and see that you have a half a million dollars in there, what do you think they're going to ask when they kidnap your wife or you? Right? It's not common in the United States. Very difficult. Everything is protected and double protected. Certainly it happens. But in a foreign country, you wouldn't even know where to begin. So keep a very small amount there. The rest of it, you can be here. Okay. You've heard me talk about moving to a foreign country. How do you do that? Well, first of all, you've got to make sure that the visa, visa is permission to enter the country. Now, not every country requires a visa. You can go to some countries just with your passport. In fact, the United States holds quite a bit of privilege around the world. China does not. China does a full background check on you before you go there. Right? You want to come to China and visit? No problem. They look at everything from social media. They see if you're critical of the government. They look at your uh, uh, Facebook page of any sort. They look at tweets. They take a look at your government records, you know, as far as uh, arrest records or criminal records. They even look at your credit report. And they do everything they can to find out, are you or should you be allowed to enter the country? And if so, if you're just a regular traveler, listen, some of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life were China. I love China. As a country, beautiful. People, amazing. Government, eh, I could take it or leave it. It's not my, my, not my choice. But keep in mind, guys, if you think you have freedoms, you can't do that to me, I'm an American, right? You see those in the movies? Do you know who I am? Yeah, that's exactly why we snatched you, sir. The other part is to have a health insurance plan overseas. So even if you're going to live in Mexico during the winters or Belize during the winters and then go back home in the summers, that's a beautiful thing. Nothing wrong with that. Then what I want you to do is to keep or have a health insurance plan that works in that foreign country. Now, you're going to have to have this because Medicare does not work there. And sometimes even Blue Shield, Blue Cross, Aetna, HealthNet, they don't work in foreign countries because they're U.S. Uh, bound. Some of them will have an additional coverage that you can purchase just as a reimbursement. So you go there, you have to write a check to the emergency room, you have to pay the doctor, bring the receipts back, and they'll reimburse you whatever, 80% of the number, whatever the number is. Okay, so the, this allows you to not have to worry about, well, not getting treated. But before you even go someplace, make sure the doctors and the, phys- the physicians, you're getting older, guys. Chances are you're going to be visiting a hospital more frequently. Think of it as the bookends of life, right? When you were the, the only child or the firstborn and you had the sniffles, your parents rushed you to the emergency room. You fell down, you hit your head, could have a concussion, went to the emergency room. Every single minute you went to the emergency room when, when you were a child or doctor visits or weekly or monthly or annual visits, whatever it is you did. And then you were pretty healthy. You were good. I didn't go to a doctor. I haven't seen a doctor for 10 years. Okay. And now you're 68, 75, 82. Chances are you're visiting a physician a lot more frequently. So the bookends of life require a health insurance plan. And keep in mind, guys, that you can be a victim of theft, identity theft overseas just as much. 
So try to lock down your different uh, financial records, meaning you might have two credit cards that you use in country. Maybe it's the Capital One. I love that. Citibank has one, but I like the Capital One for foreign transactions because they don't have any. Some, country, uh, some uh, credit cards actually charge you a fee every time you swipe your card, an additional 3%. So that's often the reason that people go out and, a- and open a foreign bank account uh, so that they can sit there and say, all right, well, I'm going to use a, a, a local credit card. Then the local credit card itself doesn't have those 3% fees. You can get around that by the Capital One card. I like it. I don't like their interest rates, but pay it off. But it allows you to use it. I don't want everything. Now, if that gets hacked or if there's a problem, it might take you three days to get another one. So have a backup. Okay? And don't keep all of your money in one bank. I wouldn't even do that in the United States. Right? Listen, call me old-fashioned. I just think spreading it out a little bit is probably a good idea. I wouldn't keep everything with one brokerage firm. I know. They give you less fees. Folks, if you ever saw the fees, you you might even change your mind anyway. Because you need to ask, what is my total cost? What's my total cost for this credit card? What's my total cost for this bank account? What's my total cost for my brokerage account? Don't use the word fees because fees are $25 a year. Well, that's nothing. There's... There's six, ten, sometimes fifteen different types of charges that can hit your account. For example, in a credit card, it's the transaction fees, it's the annual fee, it's the interest rate. Right? It it's the so there are charges that can carry over and over and over. So how do we keep that from being a big problem? Well, ask what's my total cost. And some some allow you to use ATMs. I always like using local currency if I can. And when you're traveling, when you're walking around town, whether you're a tourist or not, but it, it doesn't matter, even in the United States, you don't take out a wad of cash from your pocket and then peel off $2, $1 bills and pay for something and put the wad of cash back in your pocket. You just told the bad guys, here's where all my money is. So keep in mind that you separate your money, right? Whatever you think you're going to use the next few minutes, that comes from that one pocket, the other pocket, or this part of the purse, or, or the, uh, the belt, right? Some people have those travel belts. I always found those a little corny, especially when people are in the middle of a, of a mall or a walkway and they reach down inside between their shirt, pull it out. They're like, you just told me where your money is. The whole idea of being hidden was to be hidden. You just pulled it out, unzipped it, took out your credit card or your, and then zipped it back up and put it right back. I just saw it. I saw it. You, you can't hide, guys. So if you're going to be kind of private about that, then be private about it. And that goes the same thing with your identity. One particular uh, Central American country that a friend of mine traveled to quite a bit He said, you know, the people, you'll never be robbed in this place. It's a safe, safe country. People are amazing. They're wonderful. But they will burglarize you all day long. What's the difference? Well, burglary is a property. Robbery is a person. 
People say my house got robbed. Not possible. Robbery, by definition, is a person. Houses, cars, they can be burglarized, not robbed. Just the old policeman in me. It's one of my pet peeves. So the legal definition is burglarized. So it's often people that are part of your family. We've had many friends who, who lived, and they said the families that uh, clean their home or work in their yards, they even pay them more, thinking they're going to gain loyalty. How much? Is, uh, 300 a month. I'll give you 400 a month. What? Yeah, for all the cooking, all the cleaning, uh, shopping, laundry, five or six days a week. They end up helping the families. You know, uh, the little girl gets new clothes for her for her, her school. They did everything that you can imagine. And three years into it, one day they find out the, the lady told her brother or brother-in-law, whoever it was, they came in and they stole everything, computers, money, jewelry. Because remember, if somebody's in your house four or five days, six days a week, they know your hiding places. They know where which drawer has the money. And sometimes they might be nice people, but they have a brother-in-law who's a bully or a jerk. And he says, if you don't tell me, you know, I'm going to do this to you. And of course, she doesn't show up anymore. And of course, you know, they moved from their home or, or she's in and the family doesn't know where she is. So these things happen a lot in foreign lands where you think they've accepted you completely. And maybe they have, and maybe there's wonderful people. But please don't keep your guard down. You wouldn't do it here. So don't do it there. All right? There's some wonderful people. Just think twice. Right? If Having a big safe, like you might in a Montana cabin. Right? Big walk-in safe with a big uh, enameled door. Bright blue or black or whatever. Big. That's nice. That doesn't have... Don't do that in a foreign that just says hey here's all the money come and hold a gun to my child's head or or my wife and and you can have whatever you want all right so be be careful you need to think three layers deep live below your means look like you live below your means be the poorest looking person i don't mean wear shabby clothes but don't have six necklaces and four uh rings on your finger and bracelets be very cautious about that. Remember, for a lot of these people, if you can hire, if you can live there for $2,000 a month, and like a king or a queen, as you might say, then your set of earrings really pays for a year for somebody. So imagine if somebody walked around you and you needed a quarter of a million a year to live in, in the United States. And somebody's walking around and they just have a watch. Or, or earrings, and they're being a jerk, and they right. You would say, "That's a little gaudy. That's a little ostentatious. Why are you doing that? Trying to make me feel really bad that you have something that you don't even you just flaunt. You don't even think twice about, and it's an entire year or two or three salary. So, if you're going to go to a very fancy gala, maybe that's one thing. But overall, tone it down a bit." Tone it down. Because if you have a, a relatively low balance in a local bank, if you have a relatively low 
standard or, or uh, at least the appearance of a standard of living. If you're driving a kind of an older beat-up pickup truck, it doesn't have to be beat-up. It doesn't have to be brand-new either, right? So there's a, there's a happy medium. If you are, are pleasant and nice and not overdoing, you think you're being nice. You know what? Here, here's a $100 bill. Yeah, what is it? It's, it's not the same. To them, it's a month's wages. It's like somebody going, hey, nice to see you. Here's six grand. You'd go, gosh, that's kind of, really? Oh, yeah, 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 keep it. You would say, wow, that's, that's a big number. So have some perspective and most importantly, have some self-awareness. Okay? They don't need to be reminded how poor they are and they don't need to be reminded how rich you are. They know without you reminding them. But be pleasant. Be kind. You can do that. That doesn't cost anything. You can assist. And and if you are a giving person, this is the biggest challenge for you if you are a giving person. It's to back that off just a little bit. I don't mean in the kindness or the pleasantness or the decency. I mean in the gifts that you might even just might just might miss your you know you may not even pay attention to it you may not even know you're doing it oh yeah why don't you take the rest of the food home really oh yeah just take it home yeah we don't need it we're going to be we're going to be going back to the states so just clean out the refrigerator and take whatever you want cuz it's all going to spoil anyway you need to think twice think of a better way of handling that i don't know but i don't want you to be somebody who is who is one a victim or two looked at as an arrogant son of a gun when you're not really either of those. You're a decent human being. You're a nice person with an amazing heart, frankly. And we know where it comes from. 888-99-RETIRE. That's my phone number. 888-997-3847. 888-99-RETIRE. You guys can always get a hold of me anytime during the week as well. 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. The total financial hour. I'm Arif Hallaby on AM870, The Answer. About financial power, the total financial hour. Now Arif has a plan for me, higher income strategy. 